This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit Compassion.com slash above. Cairo, Seattle. Well, this is it. This is the final episode of season number one, and what an unbelievable journey it has been. For Matt Hasselbeck, who was the first participant on my radio show way back when in Seattle, and was the first episode in Above and Beyond way back when in April, to the finale you're going to hear today of Sam Ponder and her husband, Christian Ponder, and the incredible ride that they have been on, and what a wonderful, wonderful testimony they have and witness they have. And through it all, I guess the story arc of this season, I've been humbled, as I've told you guys many times, and I have been so encouraged. And instead of just me saying that again and again and again, as I have over the last three or four, I want to read you a a message that I received. It was really early in this process, but a friend wrote in to say, Brock, I have followed you since your playing days at Washington and then the NFL and now. I've been listening to every single podcast from Matt, Tony, John, Rocky, also your story as well. I found God many years ago, and a tragic event happened, and then I stopped believing. Or maybe I lost faith. One of the two, or maybe both. I guess I'm reaching out to you because my faith has been shattered for so many years. I don't know where to start. I'm really a nobody, just trying to survive life. Thanks for reading this. I'm trying to find maybe something in each of your podcasts where I can relate. I don't mean to be a bother. Well, you, my friend, were not a bother, nor are the emails and the tweets and the letters and the conversations I've had around town of so many of you that they're really hearing God's wisdom and God's word. This isn't mine. I'll take you behind the curtain just a little bit. And before every one of these 15 episodes, I pray a pretty simple prayer. And that is, Lord, to move me out of the way to do whatever and to speak to whomever you would wish, that this is his platform. And I've just been so humbled to be a part of it. And I really mean that. Season one comes to a close today. Season two will be back at you come April. And I can't wait for that ride to begin again. I'll start with you, Sam. I think a lot of us know your story now, but I don't know your story then. So your kind of faith journey, your walk, your relationship with the Lord began when? Well, uh, the situation I grew up in was kind of, I mean, in some ways a blessing and a curse because I've got two parents who love the Lord more than anyone I've ever known. So while that is amazing to grow up with people who are actually living out their faith, and I saw that every day, it also means you have no excuse. Um, So very early on, I mean, I don't remember a time in my life where I I didn't want to follow the Lord. And and for a long time, that made me uncomfortable to say because I didn't have this big like conversion moment um, where, you know, I'd been living one way and then all of a sudden everything was different. It was such a process for me as I went. Now, there were certainly times in my life where I wasn't following the Lord closely and I was living more hypocritically than others. But ever since I can remember, I had a desire to live out what I saw my parents living out. My grandparents on both sides were Nazarene pastors. So I grew up in the Nazarene church 
and we were a we were a Wednesday, Friday, Sunday at the church kind of family. But a lot of that was because my parents run an inner city organization called Mad Ministries. It stands for Make a Difference, and uh, it started in inner city Phoenix. And so we would have I don't know fifty to a hundred inner city kids at our house two nights a week, and then one night we met at the the local high school gym. So that was just kind of the environment I grew up in, um, where I was around people who weren't just going to church and believing, they were living lives of sacrifice. The standard in that sense for me, um, in terms of what I expected out of myself, what it really meant to fall hard after the Lord and have a real relationship with Him, was a, a, a really legit, uh, tough standard to, to live up to. And that's obviously a, a really good thing. But I think it also um, maybe at times lent itself to some some legalism in my mind where, you know, it, it, in our program, like you had to do 10 push-ups if you if you cussed. So so there were things like that where growing up with a dad who's a coach, who's also a strong believer, I, I valued things like that early on in my faith more than I should have. The role of dad and brothers in your life was what you got two brothers. Are you the youngest? Yeah, two younger brothers and an older sister. So there were four of us, and we kind of just grew up like gym rats, basically, because my dad was was coaching basketball and also coaching some football. Um, but we we kind of grew up in the church gym and in, in the high school gym at, at Central High in, in Phoenix. But yeah, so I mean, a lot of my life was influenced by men because I, I wanted to be just like my dad. Um, that's where my love of sports came from. And then I had two brothers who like me, played three sports a year and all that. So that was kind of the environment I grew up in. And then you go to King's College in New York City? <laughs> yeah, how about that? So I'll never forget uh, graduation night. I spoke at graduation at Central High, not because I was valedictorian or anywhere near that, because I think I was the only one who was willing to speak, so they just let me. And after I did, the principal of the school got up and said, yeah, Sam Steele's going to be on ESPN in five years. And I remember thinking, holy crap, five years. Like, I got a lot of work to do. This is kind of scary. And right after that, I decided I'm going to, I'm just going to risk it. And I'm going to get on a plane. And I don't know anybody in New York City, but there's this school where I can get some scholarship money. It was a, a Christian school in the Empire State Building that was the, the model behind it was kind of raising up people to be in politics and media. And so I, I went there. I didn't have any money. I showed up and, and lived in Midtown Manhattan and stayed in New York for about three years. And that's where I was. That's kind of how this all started. I was interning for those three. It was a very extended internship for those three years at ABC Sports, basically handing cards to John Saunders and Craig James and Doug Flutie every Sunday. So that was kind of where it all began. Why do I have this picture, Sam, that you were like that girl in Remember the Titans? <laughs> is that a fair kind of, is your, as I'm listening to you, this image of that little girl, the coach's daughter, who's there fighting for her dad and who at every turn is just making his case and it's just a little fireball, a little spitball. Is that who you were? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, I remember the first time I saw the movie being like, wait a second, this is my life. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, I hated wearing pink. I would refuse to wear pink. I wanted nothing to do with anything girly. I didn't have any. It's funny now having a daughter who, like, wants to play with dolls because I'm experiencing it for the first time with her. Like, that wasn't me as a kid. I was always a, a little tomboy. And, and you're right in terms of just from an early age, like, 
getting in not physical fights, but just always speaking up for who I thought was, you know, dealing with some injustice, which whenever it was family, uh, I, I would jump all over that. But yeah, that was that's a that's a pretty accurate comparison. And let's just say this, Brock. She has two movies memorized <laughs> word for word, and that's one of them. That is that's one true. of the two. What's the yeah, other? Uh, Hitch. Because she had a big crush on Will Smith. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I look a lot like Will Smith. Yeah, no, I, see, I totally see the attraction yeah. there and the fit. So then how do we transition to Liberty University? And full disclosure, uh, this is kind of neat. My wife, Molly, is in on this one, the first time in these 15 episodes, the final one of this year. And Molly and I both have our eye on Liberty University. we got a couple young girls. Uh, they've become young women now, a high schooler and everything else. How do you transition from downtown Manhattan to Liberty University? Yeah, it was. I mean, it doesn't get much more night and day than that. I was just at a place in my life. I'd lived in New York City for three years. I ran out of money for one. So that's kind of the the practical side of it. But I had visited Liberty when I was in high school. I went for their like college for a weekend deal and experienced uh, what that campus was like and really fell in love with it right off the bat, but just felt like I needed to go to New York and, and try to do this broadcasting thing first. Um, so about after about three years there, I had made some bad relationship decisions and was just at a place in my life where I felt like, man, I need to take a step back and kind of evaluate what I'm doing and who I am right now and kind of start over in a way, not like to get rid of everything, but just to get a fresh start. And the first place that popped in my mind was was Liberty. So I sent them my little demo reel that uh, Craig James and those guys helped me make, and they offered me a position doing sideline reporting while I was still in school for the cable channel that covered all their football games and men's and women's basketball. So it was it was a great situation for me because I kind of got to have the small market TV experience while I was still in school and it was a place to mess up and still be able to keep working. And it was it was an amazing experience. I, I don't regret any of my time there and still have great friends from there. And if Sam Ponder today could go back and tell Sam Ponder, that young gal starting on the sidelines at Liberty University, one thing, what would it have been? Oh, enjoy the process. I mean, Brock, I was in such a hurry to get to this like mountaintop that I thought existed where all of a sudden my insecurities would go away and I would feel like I had arrived and I, you know, would quote unquote make it. And then what I find out like many people, is then when you do get to the point where people start telling you, oh, you've, you've made it, well, then what? You know, like, it's just, it's lonely up there for one. And you start looking around and, and when you do find other people that are in that same position, you realize, like, wherever you go, there you are. Like, I had the same issues hosting NFL Countdown that I had when I was, you know, that age in some ways. Like, that stuff doesn't go away because all of a sudden you get a better job and people say you're important or whatever they want to say. Mm. Um, and I think I was just in such a hurry to feel validated or feel like I'd, I'd made it that I didn't appreciate. I mean, now some of the, the fondest memories I have are looking back on those days where, you know, I was using Wendy's coupons to 
eat that my mom would send me and I didn't have much of a care in the world and I was just getting people coffee and I, I wish I would have appreciated that process more. Now I'm starting to sound like Nick Saban talking about the process all the time, but <laughs> I, uh, I wish I would have appreciated that period of my life more and, and not thought that there was some prize at the end of all this. Christian, I would love to kind of bring you into this. So I don't know if the baby's got to go from your lap to Sam's <laughs> lap over there. Right. What's this little guy's name? His name is True. This is True? Yes, just T-R-U-E. His full name is Robinson True. We call him True, but Robinson after David Robinson and Jackie Robinson. Oh, how cool is that? <laughs> Robinson <laughs> True. And then the fir- and then your daughter is Blaze? Scout. Scout, Scout. Oh, but I like the name Blaze. Blaze. Yeah. Scout Blaze. Your third. Your blazing, yeah, Blazing yeah, the hey, Journey. There you go. You just named our next child. Oh, well, there you Brian. go. Good. Yeah, no, her, her, her legal name is named after Bobby Bowden, Bowden, which wasn't even my idea. It was Sam's <laughs> idea, but her name... Bowden St. Clair. St. Clair is a family name of Sam's, but we call her Scout. Wow. That is awesome. Christian, can I get a little bit of your journey to your, your place and your, your faith journey and your walk and commitment? Yeah, mine is a little different than Sam's. I mean, we're alike, and I grew up in the church. I grew up Catholic. Uh, my mom is an Italian Catholic. Her, her side of the family is all Italian. Oh, my, my mom's grandparents immigrated from Italy. So that was you know a big part of, of growing up was you know, going to Catholic Mass every Sunday, going to Sunday school, you know, got First Communion, was confirmed in the church at, at age 15 or 16. And so I, I grew up going in the Catholic Church. And, and for me, you know, I so much of the Catholic Church, and, and this is from my experience, I'm going to speak from, you know, this is completely my experience. It's not anyone else's experience. But um, for me, it was so much um, more about the religion than it is, was about the relationship with our father, you know, and, and so, so spent a lot of time at mass, even through college was, was still Catholic. And, and I met this guy, he worked in the video department at Florida state. He, his name was Scott Kodak and he grew up very similar to me, grew up in Catholic church and, uh, and, and had since left. And from his experience as well, he's like, you know, when I left the church, I just felt like my relationship with the Lord just accelerated and, and just blew up so quickly and and he wasn't telling me that to say hey like you should do the same but we talked through a lot of things we started doing um, bible studies every wednesday night and just planted a lot of seeds that that i wouldn't see grow until later in life but not later i mean two or three years later but so when we talked through those things that, that was kind of always in the back of my mind you know like i I, I thought I had a relationship with the Lord. I saw things that were obvious signs that it, the relationship wasn't that good because I wasn't reading his word. You know, that was never emphasized to me. Like, hey, you should probably read the word of God and, and understand what he expects of you or, or what that relationship is like to even try to pursue a relationship with him. And and there are among many other things. So so then that was my junior and senior at Florida State, you know, was juggling with the idea of, hey, you know, what should I do, you know, with with, with that idea and you know met Sam right before my second year with with the Vikings and you know she was kind of the catalyst that that led me to kind of a new relationship with or, or I guess what I'd now say is like you know actually becoming a believer I would say before I you know I wasn't I don't think I was actually a believer you know I thought I was but but now knowing how my relationship is with the Lord now is, is completely different and you know Sam was was kind of the catalyst to that I think the Lord uses different people in different ways to, to draw near to him. And so he can draw near to us. And Sam was kind of the big catalyst in that, in that whole thing. So how did this go down? Molly is in here. And eventually Molly's going to chirp up because I like to tell this story. 
Um, you guys know this on campus. There's student academic advisors, and ours was a guy by the name of Rob Post. And I went into Rob Post's office my freshman year, very bold, very daring. Molly thought I was super cocky. And I said to Rob, he was. what electives is Molly Hills taking? And uh, he's like, I can't tell you that. I'm like, well, you don't have to tell me that. Just show me what electives on that computer screen Molly Hills is taking because I'd really like to try to find a way to get so in So you were a creeper too, Brad. I was. No, Christian wasn't the only I, one. Well, I was borderline stalker, yeah. Maybe I walked through basketball practice. Molly played basketball at Washington. And maybe I'd kind of watch every once, just every once in a while, right, Molly? No. <laughs> huh? No? Uh, what's even more creepy is when he would come to our, was it geology class? Yeah. Okay. I did notice him because he would purposely walk in late yeah. and he would wear these really tight jeans. <laughs> yeah. All right. and, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, trying nice. to get my attention. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and apparently it worked. Uh, after so a while, good. I gave in, Sam. After a while. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did stalk. I did find she was in geology and then she eventually kind of, kind of sat close to me. I think more for the grades than anything else. I don't think yes. there was any attraction. <laughs> yes. I think it was just the work ethic of my academic standards and everything else. <laughs> no. So, Christian, sure. when you were talking about Sam being kind of the catalyst in your faith journey, Brock was the same way for me. So mm-hmm. I, I parallel your story a little bit, but then when Brock came in in college, a little earlier for us, but in college, he was the one that kind of helped me come to know the Lord better and, and grow. So how did you two then pursue? Christian, <laughs> take it away. What's your side? There's this thing called Twitter. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. Twitter. It's actually a dating site. So back in spring of 2014, no, 2012. 2012. Sorry, our daughter was born in 2014. (laughs) Spring of 2012. I I mean, I'm kind of like you, Brock. I was a creeper. And um, basically, so I saw her on TV, this this blonde, attractive woman uh, on TV doing, she was doing, what was it? It was like a quarterback competition for something tied with the Super Bowl with some college guys. And so I, you know, the creeper I was, I, I <laughs> tried to figure out, you know, what's, what's my way in. And I had a, a friend who played at UT who lived in Austin. And we had talked about, like, you know, I talked about maybe living in Austin. And he was trying to influence me to, to make that move. And so my way in was, like, she was at the time working for Longhorn Network. I was like, hey, you know, like, I, my friend's trying to get me to move down to Austin. You know, do you like living there? You know, like, like. I care about her advice about Austin, you know, like that would have any sort of influence on me like, moving why there or not. is Christian Ponder asking me for like relocation? Okay, hold on one second. This is called sliding into DMs. So you're telling but me it the... Wasn't no, a it wasn't DM. a DM. It wasn't a DM This yet. is what I was so upset about, Brock. This was a public tweet. Well, she so, wasn't following me, so I couldn't... At that time, I couldn't direct message her. There was a reason I wasn't following you. I didn't know you. Yeah. So... <laughs> Well, now, so, so yeah, so I had to make myself known, right? So yeah, for sure, bro, I for sure. Where the tight known, jeans like come you, into class late. Yeah. Maybe yeah, after you know, squat workouts. Nice. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, it's protruding a little bit. You guys, you guys are before, like, computers were even invented. Yes. So. Oh, stop it. <laughs> that is true. Oh, my no, gosh, that we're is old. True. So you just public, you just went on Twitter and you're like, the heck with uh, yeah, it, I'm yeah, going but for it. Worked, it. You know, yeah, and and it worked, obviously. <laughs> so she tweeted me back about, I don't know what she said, and I think we had an exchange of like two tweets and that was it. And that was like, I don't know, April of 2012. And 
uh, she had a boyfriend at the time, so that's what, I found that out, and I'm like, you know what? I'm such a good guy. I'm not. I'm gonna I'm stop say, tweeting. That's her. what you were at the time. You were a great. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let me just pause you for one second. Just pause right there for one second. Gather your thoughts because Christian, <laughs> after my freshman year, oh, so gosh. I tried to do the whole thing geology. She wasn't really noticing that much. So the end of our freshman year, we had to fill out this form for the media guide back when they had the big old media guides, and that mm-hmm. was like the biggest deal ever. Who was your favorite athlete to watch? And Jeff Johnson, my roommate, is a, I, I turned to him. I said, dude, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put Molly Hills in here. Watch no. this. And he's like, you will not. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm crazy like that. I don't really care anymore. You're and like, sure enough, yes, that's all ex- the time. That's exactly right. She's my favorite <laughs> athlete to watch. So I put Molly Hills. Wow. So the media guy, I don't think anything of it. The media guide comes out, what, two months later? It's the middle of the summer. Media guy comes out. I'm looking at it, right, to see what's in it. They have a picture of Molly Hill shooting a jump shot Stop in it. my bio. On his wow. page. On- Can you imagine if you would have had another girlfriend by then? <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem was. True, true Sam. Yeah. The problem was I had a boyfriend. Yes, oh, yes you did. You go. And, and I got there. really awkward. Do you remember the first time we were in the weight room? Like the, yeah. It came out. And I remember looking we're at so the old. weight room. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's in there. I'm going to put some more weights on the power clean rack right now. I don't really care. <laughs> But my but her picture's in my bio, and then you can tell what happened. Like, your parents was kind of the next one to see it, right? Yeah, because yeah. my parents had a bunch of friends that were alumni boosters and with the Husky football program, so they had gotten their media guides sent to them early before season starts. So awesome. So <laughs> so I come home when, one weekend, and my dad's like, what is going on here? And he had, had, a, he had a media guide, and one of his friends had given him with, the picture. So actually, in all honesty, I kind of like the boldness of it. It, it yeah. kind of was a little bit of an attraction thing. I, I like that. So Sam, did you kind of like it's creepy and weird as some dude <laughs> like publicly tweeting you? Did you kind of like some of that? No, actually, I was really upset because <laughs> he kept it. So I had just, you got to imagine, like I had just started at Longhorn Network. Nobody knows who I am. I'm trying to, I'm like this 20, I don't know, four-year-old you know, college age looking blonde chick. And I'm like, all I need in my life is people to think I'm like hanging out with athletes. Like this is the worst case scenario for me right now. And that's actually a true story. Why I followed him back was to direct message him to be like, please stop talking to me in public. <laughs> this is this is not good. This is not a good look for my job. And yes, I had a boyfriend, but it was kind of a casual relationship at the time. It wasn't anything super serious. So it wasn't really because of that. I was just so worried that it was going to like affect my reputation with work. Meanwhile, I was at Longhorn Network and nobody really cared. But in my mind, that's kind of why I wanted it to not be public anymore. And, and then, then once then, she followed you, Christian, you're like, and then oh, yeah, yeah, oh, I'm in. Sign, sealed, delivered. You know? <laughs> um... That part where she sent me the DM, that didn't happen. It was actually in, until we were in training camp. So that the first time was like April, and then this was August. For some reason, I sent her another tweet. I, I don't know what it was about or, or what happened. And it was like a back and forth. And I think people started like tweeting like, oh, Sam and Christian are like talking on Twitter or something. So then she sends me that direct message. And of course, I'm like, oh, it's done deal. You know, like, sweet. <laughs> and so we like direct message back and forth for maybe 45 minutes. So then I finally get the courage to ask. For, for the digits and I'm I have much better game on Twitter than I do in person and um, that's true and so get the digits and and this is in training camp so we're like I'm talking to her uh, on the phone and, and we're FaceTiming until like 
one in the morning in training yeah, he, camp. He was you real know, focused, like, real which is, focused on yeah, camp. Just not not a smart thing from a football <laughs> perspective to be doing. But so that happened, and that so that was training camp August of, of twenty twelve. The last preseason game is is always Thursday, and we most teams have that weekend off. So we had that weekend off. Sam had just gotten the college game day job. This was her first game. It was in Dallas. And so she was there for that weekend. So I, you know, I fly home to see my parents, of course. <laughs> and I, I grew up in Dallas. And uh, so I go home with the intentions of, of meeting Sam. We talked about before, like, hey, I'm going to come down. Like, let's get together. So we met September 1st. We hung out. You know, we kind of talked. And actually, like, she stayed up ridiculously late talking you know with our first meeting and we were both making bad career choices yeah because it, she had their first show saturday morning and, she, and well what we were up to like 1 a.m talking yeah yeah it was bad and uh, good, good in the long run bad in yep, the short term yeah. but yeah we and then we ended up getting engaged december 2nd, 2nd and married, married december 17th which is as in, crazy in a courthouse as it sounds. in the courthouse in the middle of football season super romantic this is where it gets really good <laughs> yeah, so so our and this is this is you know this is I'm just the smartest guy in the world. So my idea was, let's go get married. It was like a Tuesday day off, typical day off in the NFL. I'm like, let's, she flies up to Minneapolis and I'm like, you know, let's, uh, let's just get married now and secretly in a courthouse. And then let's have a wedding that everyone thinks is our actual wedding in the spring back in, we're living in the off season in Phoenix. That's where Sam was born and raised and, and no one will know. And so I'm like, you know, how are we going to pull this off? Well, let's let's go to Wisconsin because no one in Wisconsin knows anything about the Minnesota Vikings, and um, <laughs> and the, so we drive, and, and the the Minnesota Wisconsin border is like 20 minutes east of Minneapolis. We, we literally just drove to a suburb. <laughs> so of yeah, so we drive, we we cross the border, and we take the first exit into Hudson, Wisconsin, and we go to this courthouse. And we're like, hey, like, we want to get a marriage license. Oh, and, and we want to get married today. And uh, I think the, the lady was in shock. She's like, wait, what? Like, mo- that's never happened before. <laughs> let, me call, let me call the city clerk and see if, if he's around to do. to do it. And so she got back to us and was like, okay, like, he can do it at, at 5 o'clock today. And, and we're like, okay. We're like, wait, like, also, we're doing this. Like, we don't, we don't want anyone to find out. Like, we want to keep this under the wraps. And, and uh, so, like, can we please just you know, make sure this stays quiet and then she proceeds she said yeah yeah she agrees and then she proceeds me to hand like me a napkin or something to sign for her 12 year old son you know? i knew like, then oh, i was like this oh, isn't we're not gonna make it and uh nighttime. yeah and so and we didn't no and so we we go ahead with this deal we had to find two people strangers who who are gonna be our witnesses and yeah, so and it was i mean it was just like a quick basic typical i i guess i don't really have a background on this courthouse marriage we literally went to Arby's to eat afterwards and then went to an offensive line Christmas party that night. Nobody knew. And then he got a message from a local reporter in Minnesota saying, hey, uh, did you guys get married today? Yeah. And so he had to call his mom. I want to know how the parents felt about yeah. this. Well, yeah, you know, that's what was the intention. It was like, hey, you know, they weren't going to find out. And then so when I got that <laughs> message from the reporter, I had to call my mom and... <laughs> And they, you know, they were actually really cool with it. You know, I, I mean, I think they're obviously like very surprised, but, but they were cool with it. And then we proceeded to have we had a, a ceremony in in April back in Phoenix, and it was actually really cool. We had a, like a barn in the middle of the desert, and had uh, you know a petting zoo and some karaoke and <laughs> Chick Fil A milkshakes and wow. chicken and waffles and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it was wow. it was really awesome. fun. And and I think the best part about it, so the courthouse a few weeks later. 
sent us our only wedding photos we have from our wedding. And there were two photos from the security cameras of us walking into the building and us walking out of the building. They look like so, criminals. Okay, hold, hold, on on wedding photos. hold on one second. Two things. Who were the two strangers? Did they? Oh, did... One was named Jalissa. I'll never forget her. Because okay. she cried. And I was like, why are you more emotional than I We am? were laughing. The, the whole thing was so corny. We were laughing the whole time, but it, it, they were just someone. I think the the receptionist that was helping us fill. They <laughs> yes. went and found two people that worked at the courthouse <laughs> to be our witnesses. And they were literally like crying while this is going on. And the the poor man who officiated the whole thing, he thought he was being punked, and so he's like, "May the wind always be at your backs." And may, he's like trying to make it this big romantic thing. Oh. We're both sitting there just laugh. I mean, it was it was rough. Okay, but. so that's Jalissa and the other stranger. Did they get invited? Did Jalissa and the other stranger? <laughs> I just don't think we had any, any, right. any idea how to contact Secondly, them. Christian, you said a petting zoo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We I've been to a lot of weddings. A petting zoo. <laughs> oh, you know what? We had it all. Okay. We had a donkey. We did. That carried around beverages. <laughs> that actually came with his own contract. So this, he was, he was a burrow. <laughs> and this burrow had a contract that said if anyone harasses the burrow, even just verbally. Yeah, verbally or physically, <laughs> the borough has the right to go home and not we would not be refunded our money. We're classy people. Fortunately, okay, he, he made it. Tell. The borough made it through the whole wedding yes, and, and he was did. a hit. Okay. So full disclosure, you answered those two questions. This is no joke. I had somebody, Sam, who has been around you at some point, literally say oh. in the car to me, like, and I don't know where your name came up in one of these stories or whatever, like, can you believe like they got married in like two months? Who oh, yeah. does that? It's so weird. Like, Oh, I'm sure he wasn't the only one. There were a lot of people. No. Some of my close friends included. <laughs> so ultimately then why? Well, I'll answer first. I have no idea what Christian is going to say to that. For me, I had been in, you know, I was 27, I think at the time. And I'd been in enough relationships at that point that I was really specific about what I was looking for. I had been on, this may sound bad, but I'd been on so many first dates because so quickly I would know, like, this isn't it. And maybe there were people I should have given a better chance. I don't know. But I just always felt like I knew, like, this is not it. This is not it. And I'd, I'd been in some bad relationships and had some bad experiences. And I just never felt like, okay, this is the one. And I know it sounds cheesy and it's like what you see in movies and all that kind of stuff, which usually makes it seem like it's not real. But... Um, for me, despite, I mean, we had all sorts of issues and we still, I mean, we're just as much of a mess as anybody else, but I just knew right away. I remember telling my parents, cause again, I mean, this is only like a few weeks in, we're only seeing each other like one day a week and just talking on the phone. And I remember telling my parents like, Hey, just to give you a heads up, like, I think I'm going to marry this guy. Like maybe now. <laughs> and I remember my mom, who's kind of the more like emotional reactionary one of the two being like. I could tell, which was totally not the response I expected to get from her. I think she just saw that this was different. So was it necessarily the wisest way to do it? No. And I, I wouldn't like recommend to people like, yeah, get married after three months. But man, I, I think God clearly had a plan for all that and was going to use some of our individual brokenness to kind of heal each other in different ways. And we wouldn't have experienced, I mean, we talk about this all the time. We gen, and this is maybe terrible to say, I think both of us feel like if we would have dated for a long time, we probably wouldn't have gotten married. Cause there were a lot of things about both of us that we had no clue about. I mean, like even little things, like I didn't know he bit his nails. 
I remember driving in the car this like two weeks after we got married. I look over and this man's chewing on his nails and I'm like, are you kidding me? That's gross, I, man. I married a man who <laughs> his nails. Like there were so many and little things and big things that, I mean, and it went for sure both ways where I think if we would have waited and kind of wanted everything to be perfect and are we a perfect match and are you the perfect one for me, we probably would have would have questioned. So I personally just believe God had a plan for all that and was going to use even maybe some unwise decisions that we were making for his ultimate good. Were you prayerful about that, both of you? Or were you prayerful like, man, I would really love to find someone I can spend the rest of my life with? Honestly, no, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I again, Sam was kind of like the catalyst of, of me taking that next step in my faith. And, and, and honestly, that's one of the things that, that we struggled with and, and still struggle with is because she grew up the way she did, just her faith was was so much farther along than, than mine was, and and so that makes it hard. And as a man, and, and you're in charge of being the spiritual leader of your family, when I wasn't as far as long spiritually as Sam was, and and that was a dynamic that, and I'm I, I'm still in terms of that leadership role, I struggle with, in all honesty, and and we're still trying to figure that out. But was I prayerful about it? No, I mean I was just hoping that. You know, I was watching all these cheesy movies, you know, like <laughs> that I was just hoping I would find this this woman. And, and that's, you know, for me, it, it, it wasn't a question of why, why would we do this now? It was why not? You know, like I, I knew she was a full package. She was a believer and she was gorgeous and she was uh, into sports, you know, like she was everything that I had ever dreamed of. And so, you know, to me, it was like, you know, why not? You know, and I had to, I had to lock it up before someone swooped, <laughs> swooped in and, and took her away. How do you guys make your marriage work and does it look traditional i'm thinking from a a wife and a mom standpoint sam you've got this amazing career now that i'm sure is pretty demanding on time and then you've got two young kids you guys are in the thick of it with the ages that both of them are in what does the inside of your home look like as far as your roles would you say they're traditional or have they kind of been adjusted to your career sam they're definitely not traditional and i think we both grew up in homes where it was my mom was a stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood and, you know, was very opinionated and had a lot of things she was into, but she was always at home. And so that was what I grew up with and was used to. So I think even just for me, outside of any decisions that Christians made, it's been a challenge to kind of struggle with what I know to be the role of a mom, just because it was the only mom, you know, I ever had modeled for me and kind of what that life looked like. And then realize that's not my life. You know, <laughs> like for the first four years of our marriage, I was on the road like three or four days a week with our daughter. So there's the guilt that comes from, you know, not only am I not home making dinner and like taking care of the house and all that kind of stuff. But I'm also taking his daughter away and kind of separating our family very practically speaking because of my dream and the job that I had. Um, so I think there's been a lot of struggle just with us trying to figure out how all that works. You know, what do you do? Like he was in the middle of his career. Mine was kind of just taken off. And so what did you do? So what do you do? We, we, I don't, Brock, that's the, that's the tough thing about all of this. I don't think we ever like came up with a solution other than I knew this year, as soon as I found out I was pregnant again last fall. And that's why I believe this, 
this countdown thing as much as, yes, there were people in the company that advocated for me and obviously made the decision to hire me. I just feel like this was from God because I was going to have to quit my job. Like I couldn't be on the road with college game day and calling the Saturday night prime game with two little kids, like a toddler and a newborn. Molly, you know, like what that life is like. That just was not a possibility. And to take them away from Christian, we didn't know where or if he would be playing and where we'd be living, just all the uncertainty that comes with that. So, and, and that's kind of the lesson I've been learning recently is like, if you try and figure all that out perfectly and say like, Hey, I'm going to do it this way. Well, then what happens when you find out you're pregnant and you don't know what city you're going to live in? Like, I just, I couldn't count on my circumstances. So I just trusted like, Lord, you got to have a plan in all this. And I think for us, I mean, it's been a, a regular struggle. So I think the solution for us has just been constant communication. And that's why in a lot of ways, that's why I took this job. Not, I mean, look, I, I love football. This is an amazing opportunity. It's not like, oh, I took some terrible job so I could be at home. But the schedule was everything. I mean, we live as a family now together six days a week. I go up to Bristol from New York City Sunday mornings and I come back s- Sunday afternoon. And that's made a huge difference already for our family. And what was that like in our home, Molly? Right when I'm in Seattle and I'm in Indy and I'm going and we had Haley as a newborn and you and the cat had to come across the country and everything else, right? <laughs> and then the circumstances were not ideal. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? Well, I think it, it obviously looked different for me than it does for Sam. I now currently do work part-time, but I was just with the kids at that point. But it is it is a challenge. I think, uh, especially as Christian women, I can relate so much, Sam, to what you're saying, just about having a mom that did stay home and took a lot of pride in raising her kids and supporting her husband. So I have that as my example. But at the same time, like I sit and listen to you, Sam, and the first thing that comes to my mind is just that God made you in such a way to be doing what you're doing today in the media. Obviously, he made you to be a great wife and a mom too, but man, you're gifted in this area and that those gifts come from the Lord. You're fearless. I love how you stand up for your faith and so to me, it's it would be a shame if you didn't do what you're doing career-wise. But I do also understand as a as a woman, it is tough trying to balance it all. Yeah. And especially, I think, when you're a Christian woman, because you do understand how God designed you and the importance that you have in the family and the supportive role. Too. Sam, you just said, well, I got to give it up to you, God. I mean, ultimately, isn't that what faith is, that these circumstances and these things are in such a spot that I have just got to put it in your hands, Lord. And I guess, Christian, likewise for you, as you talked about, you know, Sam kind of growing and empowering your faith Mm -hmm. as you've walked this journey alongside her in this marriage of trying to figure it out and working these circumstances out. Have you watched your faith grow? I have. I have. And, 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 you know, I'll say this about Sam sacrificing and, and being the one that is working right now. You know, like, it's been such a blessing as, as I'm transitioning out of football for, for my next career and trying to figure out that she's, take it upon herself to, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll be the one that works and supports our family. But the, I think the idea is like, Hey, you know, down the road, it's, it's obviously God made men to work and, you know, I'm just giving you the time now to figure it out. And with football, you know, like I, this is chosen, you know, I, I had opportunities to go play and, and, uh, my loyalties lie with my family more than they do with football. And, and I wasn't going to move my family to New York and then just abandon them all of a sudden. Hey, hey good luck. And uh, well, can I just interrupt you really quick there? Because I just feel like I, 
I don't know. I, I sometimes I feel like as a wife, I want to like scream this from the rooftops, and other times I'm like, I respect him so much for not really saying this that much. But I think that's when I knew that like we're gonna be okay. Like this is like God's got a plan for this. Is when I realized, you know, I would I would hear we'd be in the kitchen and a the head coach of a team would call and say, Hey, I mean, there was one time when it was like, Hey, come and you'll, you'll start this weekend <laughs> in the playoffs one time. And I, I listened to him process that what everybody else would say, of course you go do that. Like that's what the world says is important and makes you valuable as a man. And you know, there's your, there's your alpha man position right there. And I watched him process what does this mean for my family? And how does this affect my wife and my kids? And make hard choices that maybe people on the outside just make fun of or think like, oh, you didn't get another shot to play. You can't get a job. Like he just didn't say a word and chose our family over and over again. And I think that's why a huge part of why I'm so willing to work right now and be the one that's providing right now because I've seen him make sacrifice. You know, it's like in anything else. You see somebody else sacrifice for your good. What do you want to do? You want to do the same thing back. And I mean, that's been a huge testament to me of his faith growing over time where he doesn't need that validation from people to say like, oh, okay, you're you're cool now. You're doing something important. Um, he's just chosen us. And when you're on that phone, Christian, and fielding some of those calls, what are you thinking? You know, for me, it, it comes down to, you know, when I get these phone calls, I, I, the first thing I never, I never really think about myself, you know, it's like, and, and it, it comes down to it, you know, do I really want to move my family up somewhere for a short period of time? And, and, you know, what, what's the effect on them? And, and, um, and I think part of that, that's not because I'm a selfless man. I also think, you know, part of it, I've, I've I think my, my love of the game of football has also changed in a way, but, um, you know, I, and this whole thing, you know, and especially as I transition out of football, I'm learning more to just trust the Lord and, and his plans. You know, it's like it, it's actually been really awesome to have the time to try to pursue a, a, a more in-depth relationship with him. You know, it's like spending more time in the word and, and, and praying about God. Like, I I want to rely on you to direct my next steps. You know, for so long, my whole life, it's all been about or what I thought was, you know, I'm in control. I'm the one that's directing my steps. It's kind of the first time in my life where, you know, I'm outside of the game of football and I have to figure out my own path now. And, and it's, it's a really cool opportunity to see the Lord work in, in his ways, you know, and, and to rely and, and trust on, you know, whatever is going to happen is, is going to happen for a reason. And, and, you know, like already with this move to New York, I've met people that that are believers that that are helping me out in, in this transition that the Lord has in, introduced me to and and without that relationship with with God that I had and that trust with him I wouldn't have met those people and uh and there's you know and I've met countless people who are believers who have similar stories that man like I didn't think this would ever happen or or, or this was the direction my life was going until I said Lord it's all yours take it away and, and direct my steps and um, you know, that's kind of what I'm I'm learning to do right now. What would Jalissa think? Was that her name? <laughs> Jalissa? <laughs> Jalissa, right are you out there? If yeah. you are, hit us up. Seriously, way back when, when you're in that courthouse, did you guys have any vision 
for what this could look like down the road? Like when no. you guys did no. that, right? No. And you made and that commitment. The, we like were, that's we were just being over. honest. Yeah. yeah. We were we were like the dumb young in love. We were both way too smart to be doing what we were doing and we're not that smart. So like <laughs> it was one, it was one of those decisions where it was like, all right. Like, I remember when he picked me up at the airport and he's like, do you want to go get married? I remember looking down and I was wearing like torn jeans and like fake leather Madonna boots. I got it like Macy's or something. And I remember thinking, um, this is probably not a good decision, but yes. <laughs> we, stopped, we stopped at the Mall of America and oh, picked yeah, up some new, clo- some new threads <laughs> to go but, over yeah, to I the- mean, But that's kind of the point is that like God doesn't give us what we deserve, right? In so many ways. Like did we deserve to end up being in a marriage where like we're mutually growing and and there is love there and we create this family and I mean – no, none of this was like, well, this is all how we planned it out. So glad it worked out great because we've d- made great decisions. Like, no, that that's the where the whole like grace and mercy thing comes in. And look, we're only five years in, but already I can just see how God has once again redeemed our brokenness for his good. You've been able to empower others through some of that because I know you get the same messaging. I know the people think that you guys were weird. Uh, they thought our friends John and Jen Kitten were weird. And John yeah. would say, better to marry than die in lust, right? They thought we were weird getting married right at the end of college. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why would you get married right at the end of college? You're so young and everything else. Is there a kind of message, I guess, of empowerment with marriage that you would love to share in that way? We're kind of at a unique stage in, you know, our our country right now in terms of young people getting married and what relationships are like and how we build families. And my sister got married when she was really young and has five young kids. You know, like I, I've kind of been around an environment in terms of family that doesn't really go with what culture says right now in terms of like wait as long as you can, make as much money before you get married and kind of create a life first and then get married. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm not against that in any way. I just think for us, and and in terms of empowering people, like my answer to your question is I, I don't know for sure. I just know the way I see our relationship is let's live it out and be authentic in terms of like what we put up on social media and, you know, what we show to the world. And if people get any sort of inspiration from that or they think like, hey, that, you know, makes me feel like I can look for that type of relationship or whatever. Great. But we're like I told you before, like we we've still got all our own issues and are still kind of working through this as we go. Well, that I think leads to kind of the. The second part of this, at least what my spirit was leading. And honestly, I'm so thankful you guys are doing this, really. I mean, I hear the baby. Please don't feel any like it's awesome. Oh, sorry. You guys are just genuine <laughs> and real. I think yeah. it's what we always try to be, right, mm-hmm. Mom? I mean, yeah. I think so many of the people that have been counsel in our lives, right? And I would put the kittens right there. And obviously, Matt and Sarah are real. And just so many of the folks that have impacted and shaped our lives, Chuck and Barb Snyder, were just real and authentic. So... I honestly, my heart says thank you for sharing a lot of this mm-hmm. and being vulnerable in that way and being real. It's what our culture needs. And I think it parallels or, or it comes right into kind of the other perspective that I do want to talk about today. And that's living your faith out publicly, living your lives out in the public domain and how you do that, how you both navigate that. Why do you live your 
conviction, your faith conviction? Why do you live that so publicly? Well, I've kind of always had this way of thinking, I guess, and I think this is mostly modeled from how my parents were, but that I can't separate like this work self and this home self. That's never been me. I'm not comfortable with that, like creating this kind of false identity at work and then doing something different at home. So I just decided really early on, like my career started in the social media age. You know, Twitter came out my senior year of college and all of a sudden it was like there was no separating anything, you know, because you'd be tweeting about work at night when you're home in your bed and you're, you're trying to be yourself so that you can kind of connect with like-minded people or show your personality to people who are watching and it kind of all became this jumbled mess and i think that's what you know espn as a company is struggling with right now and a ton of companies around the country like how do you handle that we have these employees who are here to do a job my job is to talk about sports and yet people are complex. You know, they have different interests and, and things that they're very passionate about. I have some things where I've, over the years, taken some risks on social media to speak out about some different things. And it's scary. Like, it's scary in this day and age where people are just looking, you know, for anything to discredit you or to say that, you know, you shouldn't be in your position or whatever. To answer your question, I don't know another way to do it. I don't know a way to be myself without being my full self. Now, does that mean like you share every detail of your life and every opinion? No. And that I, to me, I think that's the hardest thing about social media is choosing your battles, right? Like we're not going to go to war on everything, but there are some things and I've picked out a couple of issues that I feel strongly about that I am going to speak out about because I, and I said this to Christian last night, cause we're in the thick of it right now. Like if someone like me who God has given a platform on early in life, much earlier than I deserved or earned and a husband and two great kids and more money than I ever thought I would have and all that kind of stuff. Like if someone like me can't speak up, then who can, you know, like w w these girls that are in the same position that I was in, you know, late teens, early twenties, like when they're dealing with some of this kind of stuff, like why, why would I expect someone like that to be able to speak up if I don't use my voice, you know, and, and what's the platform for anyway, if I, I've got this platform and I say like, God provided this platform, you know, and, but then I'm, I'm silent. Like what's, what's the point of all this? So it's a struggle. Especially me personally, we let fear just drive so much of our lives and, and control so much of our lives. And what, you know, what is fear? Fear really just comes down to us not trusting the Lord. Right. And, and if we let that fear control how we live out our faith, then you know, obviously that's, we're just throwing in God's face. Like, Hey God, I don't trust you. So I'm not going to live it out. Do I get that right? I probably get it wrong half, more than half the time, you know, and, and let fear still drive a lot of, of what I do, but we're supposed to be strong and, and God's given us and equipped us with that strength to live out our faith in, in a public manner. And, and, you know, like Sam said, how else are we supposed to live? And Christian, you're in a unique spot where you have sacrificed, as Sam, you talked about earlier. Christian, you have sacrificed, and then you have a wife that is in the public domain, and you've got to see these tweets, and you've got Oof. to see the reaction, and you've mm -hmm. got to hear this stuff. And what we're talking about here today is something that happened back in 2014 when the media site Barstool Sports wrote and said some truly terrible and nasty things about Sam. Now that they have been employed by our company at ESPN, Sam, you felt that you needed to respond to those words and you did in the public domain. 
And so say I'm a Christian, how do you navigate that? And does it strengthen your marriage? Good question. I mean, I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, look, I'll say yes. Like we were at dinner last night when, you know, all this ah. stuff kind of started. And it's not like he was like, should I say something, Sam? Like, well, you know, do you want me to say something? Like there was no conversation about it. I just looked down at my phone and it popped up like Christian Ponder responds to this, you know, like. And yet, so to answer your question, yes, I think any mutual struggle and, you know, signs or shows of, of loyalty always will strengthen any relationship. So, you know, in some ways, this is such a blessing because it's made you realize like, all right, who's on our team here? Like, who, who are we working with? Where do we have that support? Honestly, for me, to, to your point about the fear of all of it, Christian, I, you know, for me, I think I finally got to the point and I'm, I'm way late on this and I should have started way earlier on, but I realized that my fear was just that I wasn't going to be valuable or good enough if all this stuff was taken away, you know, like if all of a sudden people didn't like me and I didn't have the cool, like shiny job and people didn't introduce me with some list of accomplishments or maybe didn't introduce me at all. You know, like, am I going to be okay? And that was the fear. And I think Christian's point is so good. Like, that's just, I don't trust God that he's got this, that whether I'm a somebody or a nobody, I'm okay. And I'm not okay because society says like, hey, here's a pat on the back for all that you've done. Like, I'm okay because there's a God who created me with a purpose and being his is what gives me value. And that is easy to say, but like in these situations that I'm in right now, it's like, I'm <laughs> sorry, like makes me emotional. Like I, you got to live it out. Like, do you believe it or do you not? You know, like, because it, this is like when it, you really find out like what you really, truly trust and believe. And uh, I don't get it right all the time. And I'm kind of, you know, some t- somewhat blindly navigating my way through all of this. But that's what I realized it was all about. Well, from a mom perspective, because I know we were talking a lot about just wife perspective, but from a mom perspective, we have a almost 15-year-old daughter and we have a, a 12-year-old daughter and then a little guy. And I'm constantly trying to find examples for my daughter of women who are strong women who love the Lord, but aren't fearful and people pleasing in the sense that when they're given the opportunity or the platform, like you were talking about, um, that they don't use it. And when I find someone that uses it, like I, I honestly can't wait um, with my 15 year old because she is now age appropriate, but I can't wait to go back with her over your Twitter and see what's gone on the last day and how you've responded and how courageous you've been and authentic you've been and fearless. Yeah, the world would say you have a lot to lose by taking these stands that aren't always popular in today's culture, but God's smiling down on you. And so many people are thankful for the stand that you do consistently make and how you live your life and walk it. So I'm proud of you. And I just want to say that. Well, thank you for saying that. And I will say you saying that in these type of situations, you get a lot of private messages because there are a lot of people that like don't want to like join their name to that fight because you you know the responses you're going to get. But that's been the most encouraging thing about all of this is, you know, I knew there was going to be a lot of backlash and all that, but it's also connected me with some people that are like, hey, I feel like I can use my voice now. And if that, if I had to kind of, put myself out there and, and take some L's along the way, mm-hmm. uh, so be it, um, so that other people can feel like, hey, it's not so scary. And, and to your point, Molly, about being fearless, like, I gotta be honest with you, it is scary. Like, I, I do get fearful at times, 
but then I always ask the question that my dad asked me just about everything in my life. He, he always said, then what? You know, like, okay, so what happens? So let's say worst case scenario, everybody hates you, you know, and, and this doesn't go well and you lose your job and you don't have any money and, you know, all those terrible things that you think could happen, happen. Then what? Like, are you going to be okay? And the answer is yes. So I can kind of step in to that fear. And even if you're like thumbs are shaking while you're tweeting at times, <laughs> you know, just kind of step into that fear and do it anyway because you know you're going to be all right. That's great. You said process earlier. So take me into that process. And this is evergreen. People are going to hear this at any time. It's not just tomorrow or whenever this gets released. So this will be a little bit evergreen. But take me into that process, the two of you, as you navigate this together. Two imperfect people who married in a courthouse with some girl named Jaliza there. (laughs) How you navigate these decisions together. What does that look like? Well, you know, it's interesting to see a lot of people's responses to, to Sam's post last night thinking that you know this was all of a sudden just on a whim you know like she had a glass of wine and felt <laughs> you know empowered to tweet it and this has been a conversation we've had for like three weeks now and uh and she finally just felt like you know what like i i need to say something and i was told her like hey i'll have your back in all this i i think that she's in the right and should speak up for her platform speaking for women who are in similar roles to her and and just women in the workforce in general and Going back to your original question before about, you know, as a husband, how do you handle a lot of that stuff? You know, like I'm scrolling through Twitter for six hours last night just trying <laughs> to just see what all these fools are, are, are tweeting. And, and as, a, as a man, you know, you feel like that masculinity comes out and you just want to go fight some fools. And, you know, like you realize, first of all, a lot of the stuff that people are posting are just completely ignorant. And you're not going to win those battles in that Twitter sphere, you know, like you're just not going to win. And, and after a few tweets back and forth with some people, you know, you just realize, you know, what, what's the point? Especially Sam got her point across. Let's not try to win the Twitter battles. Let's just be supportive at home. And, and, and Sam, you know, still like Sam's like, hey, are you really gonna spend that much time just like looking at all these guys? <laughs> but it, like I said, it, it is a process. It wasn't a whim on like, yeah. I'm just going to tweet this out there. We, no, we this talked is about like it a, lot. a long time. And that's when people are like, oh, the stuff that the Barstool guys said about you is back in, you know, 2014. And I'm like, yeah, I remember really well. Because I remember feeling uh, my original tweet that they were upset about wasn't even about them and they thought it was. And so that's kind of how this all started. But I remember listening to them, you know, say all these things about me and being so upset. You know, like, I think I cried and, you know, just being so upset about the whole thing. And I just decided right then, like, okay, I got to forgive these guys and move on. So I never addressed it. I didn't say a word about it. And when I found out that, you know, they were going to be joining ESPN I found out like a few weeks ago I I had a hard time Brock because it, it Molly like it's disappointing in so many ways because this has been a company that's been so supportive obviously for you know women like me who are in positions of influence in this company and so on the one hand that's incredible and I'm I'm so grateful to be a part of a company that does that. On the other hand, I can't tell you how many messages since that announcement I've gotten from women in the company and in this industry that have said, I'm so afraid. I'm afraid to say anything. Then I realized that was me too. Like I didn't not say anything back because it wasn't the right thing to do. I didn't say anything back because I was afraid of what they were all going to do with it. And I knew I'd get made fun of more, you know, and I'd become the butt of all these jokes and you know, and, and then I'd probably cry again, you know, <laughs> like, and, and so it was all out of fear. And I knew that when I tweeted this last night, I knew it was going to be an ugly response. You know, I wish I would have done a better job 
at exactly what I said, but I think eventually the, the point got across. But even since then, the number of messages I've gotten from women that have said, I've just been so afraid to say anything, um, you know, thank you for speaking for us, I think has made me feel like, all right, like, I, I don't know why I got the sense, you know, sometimes you just get that sense in your spirit, like, this is the time. And last night, that's what I got. And one of the conversations we had that kind of Sam just touched on is, is what does forgiveness look like? You know, yeah. she talked about that conversation that those guys had that was so offensive to Sam and, and me as her husband and, and just our family in general. Like, you know, okay, we forgive these guys. What what does that look like? Does that mean I just never say anything now? You know, like, and that's kind of th- one thing we try to navigate, especially Sam had such a great conversation on on the show last week about cam newton and and kind of the things that he went through and how we're supposed to forgive like if me saying something now does that mean i haven't forgiven them and that was kind of conversation we had to have about that and and some other things you know what exactly does forgiveness look like your dad's words of then what through all this as you navigate it all then what's next sam in the role that you're in is a woman empowered through your work through your job through your talents Christian is a guy that is just walking this journey that is growing in your faith that can't wait for the next door to open. Then what's next for you, Sam, as a woman in the position you're in? Then what's next, Christian, for the role that you find yourself in? I mean, gosh, I I don't have a a great answer for that because I think any time in my life I've tried to have a good answer for that. I've looked back and been like, whoa, all of a sudden I'm married. I have two kids. Like this was not (laughs) the the plan when I first started college game day. I think right now for me, um, and again, this is all so green because this is, this is all happening like last night and this morning. I'm like afraid to check my Twitter when I get off of this (laughs) with you. But I think for me, it's it's feeling like I have more of a voice. And I know that sounds like a like cheesy feminist thing to say, I guess. Like, oh, I found my voice. But it's sad to me that it, it took till I was 31, you know? Like, I, I was always a confident girl growing up. Like, you know, I should have figured this out earlier that it's okay. No, you don't have to fight about everything. And you don't have to take a hard line on everything and, and all that. And Christian's right. Like, it's such a difficult thing to figure out like what does forgiveness look like in our relationships and with the platforms we have like do you never call anybody out on any issue and what I've found that I think kind of is to answer your question like the next step for me is as long as I am still acknowledging my own sin and my own struggles like that's why this morning I said that part of what I said last night was wrong because it was incorrect um, that didn't take away from the, the point I was making. But at the same time, like I, I want to be someone who can acknowledge constantly my own sins, if not in, in act or deed, in thought, that I can call myself out first and still be a voice for truth in love, you know, like not be someone that's just going around like fire and brimstone telling everybody, you know, what's wrong with them. But speaking in a loving way to certain issues, not every issue, that I feel like God's put on my heart. And I, I don't know another way to explain how all this happened last night. I mean, Christian watched it go down. It really was like that. So I don't know what that's going to mean for me within the company. I don't know what that means for me in whatever my next job is or any of that, because who knows what that could be. But I do know that I do feel like God's saying like, all right. We got our sea legs now. <laughs> Let's see where we go. Christian? I don't know what's next. I, I think my role right now and, and what was going on the past 24 hours 
is uh, to be a supportive husband and to draw near to the Lord and trying to figure out to, you know what we do do next and, and navigating this whole thing and and that's that's again you know that's that's being the, the spiritual leader of the family is hey like Lord what do you want to do next you know like what should we be doing let's let's go to your word and, and consult your advice rather than like trying to figure it out on our own and and so we'll see you know and, and like Sam said our lives the last five years have been so crazy we never know what's next this issue in particular in, in six months who knows what what life's going to look like but you know it's again it goes back to that whole let's not fear let's just trust and and see what happens and can i just say really quick that i think what you know what christian did last night for me it, you know was so much of that was just he's my husband and you know it's upsetting to like watch someone you love go through things like that but i also do believe that and i've gotten a lot of messages from men in our industry about this that we need men to speak up. You know, there are so many women who are still so afraid to speak out against like groups of men that have kind of, you know, grown a reputation for attacking women and kind of always reaching for the lowest hanging fruit. And the more men who speak up and not don't have to be in agreement on everything, but that say like, hey, especially believers that, that, that can say like, hey, this is my sister in Christ. Like, that's not cool. You know, like we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna objectify women. Yes. We're not gonna objectify women. That when I look at mean tweets, Sam, and we have it on our crew, my mean <laughs> tweets are, you stink. I think the worst one I ever got from a woman is, you're a demon possessed Ken doll. Fake. Oh. You know, something like that, right? It's like a personal. half compliment. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Molly's like, yeah, yeah my Ken doll. All right. You look like a demon possessed one, but anyway. <laughs> but then you see what Allison's are, right? And to oh, see yeah. what. Yeah my women colleagues are that are grotesque, that are objectifying, that are disgusting. And I think you're right. It's not just like, oh, I'm sorry, Allison. I'm sorry that you go through that. Yeah. It is yeah. to do something about it. Yep. It's good. Well, what a perfect way to close out season one of Above and Beyond. Highlighting and really diving into imperfect people that are thankful for a perfect creator and sharing those stories just as authentically as we can. What started out and began months ago with Matt Hasselbeck and his humility and his genuine nature, you just heard close out with the emotions and the tears and the ponders right now walking through some challenge and trial in their lives. And my heart's desire is that 2018 and all the episodes that are to come with Above and Beyond will do exactly the same thing digging into all of our faith journeys and sharing them together. 